anime death spiral the only anime podcast enjoyed exclusively by people you avoid at work <laughs> remy uh, how you doing you know, I'm getting ready for the big Thanksgiving day. Turkey day is right around the corner. Yes, Turkey day. I call it the filler arc of American holidays. <laughs> it's bland and nobody really wants it, but it's forced down our throat anyway. Speak for yourself, man. I, I enjoy a good turkey. You can enjoy a turkey whenever you want, though. I mean, do we really have to have the whole thing? I mean, even even the color scheme is like kind I, of like somber and muted. I do enjoy a turkey whenever I want, I will say. I consume somewhere between 30 to 45 turkeys per year. (laughs) See, I think if you wanted Thanksgiving to be really special, you would make turkey meat seasonal, like uh, like eggnog. You don't just get eggnog in the middle of spring or whatever. Well, that's where the fresh turkey comes in. You can't get like just an unthawed fresh turkey year round, obviously. If you're buying off-season turkey, it's going to be frozen. You shouldn't be. It should be illegal. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying you should go to jail. (laughs) You should be punished by the law for eating turkey on the off-season. This is a hardline political stance is what you're saying. It's either that or abolish Thanksgiving. I mean, really, what are we doing here? I mean, I think we should do that. Free the turkey. Actually, you know, I do find that that whole presidential pardoning the turkey thing extraordinarily gruesome. I hate that. Right? I was about to say, that's very grim when you think about it. It's a terrible, it's a terrible thing. I hate it. It's so weird. Imagine being, like, a dude on death row for the for the sake of this thought experiment. Uh, we're going to call him an innocent uh, person on death row. <laughs> like see- half of them are. Yeah. And, <laughs> and seeing, like hearing about a turkey getting pardoned by the president every year. Also, how do we know that turkey gets to live? I mean, come on. You're telling me nobody eats that turkey like an hour after they turn the cameras off? You, how gullible do you think we are? Listen, nobody... Nobody gets to live forever. Do you remember, um, God, it was maybe like seven or eight years back, I think, when I think it was the mayor of Chicago, maybe, who dropped and killed the groundhog on Groundhog's Day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was so funny. That's the opposite. That's the negaverse version of pardoning the turkey is slaying the groundhog. Well, uh, th- that happened a couple of years ago where I don't think it was a, an accident like that. I think the the groundhog the day before Groundhog's Day just got like diseased and died. <laughs> I think the groundhog died of COVID. <laughs> it got COVID and died. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, what does that mean for the coming of spring? Because it seems like a bad omen to me. Yeah, well, it means a definite, you know, eight more weeks of winter, possibly with some kind of uh, Norse frost giant involved at that point. Yeah, a supernatural darkness is descending. Yeah. If I was if I was a, a crystal ball type, let's say, I would be very concerned if that happened to my Listen, groundhog. Listen, the, the rule, the secret third rule they never mention, you know, it's if the groundhog sees its shadow and hides. You got eight more weeks of winter. If it doesn't, then spring's right around the corner. And then the third rule is if it dies, then it's an omen uh, of the apocalypse, a dark portent of, of the, the massacre to come. Yeah, it's the coming of the, the ancient frost, right? Yeah. The hoary frost. What if, it, what if he pops up and he shadow boxes? Then we're skipping spring. We're going straight to summer. 
Oh, if he if he fights with the shadow. I think that just counts as seeing his own shadow, right? <laughs> that reminds me I was playing this game. Oh, that remind that uh, reminds me. I, I don't I don't run, I was playing this this game. It's in early access. It's called Back to the Dawn. It's a furry prison break game. I don't I don't want to argue about the definition of furry right now cuz Nate's got some insane idea about what a furry actually is. But uh you know, like an hour and a half in, somebody made a Baki reference about... You'll notice I'm not arguing that statement. <laughs> yes. Back down. <laughs> somebody makes a Baki reference about fighting a giant mantis, and I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm in. I'm in. Sure. You got me. Whatever. I'm a sucker. You make a Baki reference, I'm in. So did you say fighting a giant mantis? Yeah. That's dope. Oh, you... You haven't you haven't read that part, have you? No, no, I haven't. Okay, well, do you know how much Baki there is. I mean, of course you do, but like, there's a lot of Baki. <laughs> yeah. Later on, when Baki is trying to get stronger to defeat his dad, of course, mm-hmm. as we all do, he he finds it difficult to find opponents that are strong enough for him to still learn from, right? Because he's pretty he's pretty good at fighting. <laughs> he's pretty good. So he decides what he's going to do instead. What he's going to do instead is he's going to, in his imagination, create opponents that are strong enough for him to learn from. And he doesn't imagine human beings because they're lame and boring. He imagines a giant mantis that becomes so real through the power of his imagination that it can actually do physical damage to his body. That's cool. That's cool stuff. Yeah. So he beats up a mantis in his in his basement that he's summoned with his mind. God damn. This power of suggestion lets him basically <laughs> injure his own body. It goes beyond that. I mean, Baki is so fucking cool. When he's fighting his dad, there is a point where they both imagine so strongly uh, a fucking... Uh, shit, what do they call the things? You sit underneath them. You put your legs underneath them. It keeps you warm. What is that fucking thing? We're we're terrible weebs. How yeah. is this possible? They imagine they imagine one of those and a tea set on top of it so powerfully that it manifests in reality. And in the middle of their fist fight, they stop and drink imaginary tea with each other. <laughs> okay, I just want to jump in. It's called a kotatsu. A kotatsu. They imagine a kotatsu so strongly that it literally manifests. In the middle of their fist fight. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Baki is Baki is so fucking cool. <laughs> okay, so there was a Baki reference in this game. Yes, is that what yes, you're saying? He, yeah. Okay. He shadow he shadow boxes a a mantis, and it's really cool. And he learns the the fist of the mantis from it, because mantises can punch really fast. Did you know that? I mean, they're no mantis shrimp. Um, you mean pistol shrimp? Same thing. Exact same thing. <laughs> sure, sure. I'm not gonna argue about shrimp. I, I could not care less about sea bugs. Anyway, <laughs> I love Baki. Yeah, I hate Thanksgiving. <laughs> yep. I'm lukewarm about anime. <laughs> <laughs> we still haven't made up our, our minds on whether it's good or not. I was, we're still probing around to find out if anime is good or not. Yeah. So did you watch any anime? Did you read any anime? Well, I did. I did watch and read anime, unfortunately. Um, I Netflix... Uh, we talked about all the new stuff coming to Netflix, but I don't know if we talked about the stuff that just came to Netflix. Like, they put out this new 12-episode uh, series of Akuma-kun. Are you familiar with Akuma-kun? Do you know anything about Akuma-kun? No, I know nothing about it. So this is... Akuma-kun is by Shigeru Mizuki. Uh, he's the guy who did Gegege no Kitaro, which is a very famous uh, old school. That was like uh, 60s uh, manga about a kid who hunts ghosts. 
or maybe the ghosts hunt him. I'm, I was never really that clear. I didn't read a lot of Gigi no Kitaro, but I just know it, it's culturally very popular. In fact, you know, talking about uh, Yu Yu Hakusho from last episode, mm-hmm. uh, I'm almost certain a lot of Hakusho comes from Gigi no Kitaro. Uh, yeah, I'm you know I'm looking at some some images here, uh, and I see I see the crossover. You know, I yeah. think the kind of spirit detective, uh, spirit hunter. Yeah, exorcist kind of uh, motif. It, it goes back, you know. It goes back a lot to like the the Shinto influences. Yeah, it's it's a he's a he's a kid and he can see yokai, right? And and he has to deal with that in his neighborhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that sucks for him probably because that sounds like a fucking hassle. He's got uh, he's got stanky little wizard eyes. Yeah, yeah, and he looks really bummed out. In every drawing I ever see of Kitaro, he looks really bummed out. I mean, wouldn't you be if you had to deal with that shit all day? If I could see ghosts, I'm pretty sure I would be bummed out. Uh, that's something I like about Meiruko Chad is like she's a she's a kind of a spirit medium, uh, and in the world of that, she's considered like a pretty powerful spirit medium. But she doesn't like really fight ghosts ever. She just tries not to acknowledge them. She's just like, this sucks. I'm just gonna pretend I didn't see that. This is really ruining my day. Uh, I am so fucking bummed out now. I can't even have fun with my friends. I'm just gonna go home and read manga. Which is like, yeah, that- No, that's that relatable. Seems, you know, that, that was- That seems uh, way more, way more like what I would feel. <laughs> yeah, going home and uh, engaging with media instead of dealing with whatever my problems were that day was, uh, that was a classic move in high school. Yeah, oh, the horrors of the world. I think I'm gonna go read manga and watch anime instead. Oh no, that is that is too real. I mean, that is how you end up with an anime podcast in your 30s. It is. Uh, this is literally how I ended up watching all of- Akuma-kun on Netflix, which is uh, another series by Shigeru Mizuki. I think this is the one that came after Kitaro, but it has a very similar setup. The only difference is uh, in Kitaro, they are yokai, which are your classic uh, umbrella guy, kappa, dog with man face. Uh, basically, any any enemy that could also be in a Kirby oh, game. Okay, like, you know what? I I just looked up some some images from Kitaro, and this is I've seen this before. There's I've seen some travel videos online of a village where this guy was born, uh, and his hometown. Oh, really? Kind of has yokai statues and and a bunch of homages to Kitaro all over it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it's cool. There's some shops there that do these really fun kind of like uh, mochi confections that look like the eyeball dude. <laughs> so like these big eyeball mochi, it's, it's cute. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it, Kitaro is a, is a very famous comic. It's one of the kind of foundational horror comics, but you know, Kikigi is up there with, you know, cat eyed boy and drifting classroom and all that is like very much horror classics. Um, and Akuma Kun is basically the same idea except instead of yokai it's like western westernized uh demons essentially so lots of fake latin so when you say that do we get like uh well yeah demons fake latin stuff but do we get like do they ever delve into like the universal monster kind of catalog you know we talk about draculas wolfmans some mummies i don't ever meet a mummy no i mean there is a, a chick in, in the in the anime who uses the mummy motif as her like thing, but she's not a mummy. I mean, she's very particular that she's a demon. So this is just like demon, like demon demons. 
So yeah, they're what demons. you're saying is that once again, the influence of the Catholic Church wins out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is yet again a bastardization of the Catholic Church stuff. Uh, Satan is talked about quite a lot as just a dude, which is very funny to me. <laughs> He's just like a really powerful dude. I mean, technically he is. You know, that's not wrong. Yeah, yeah. But the, there are angels as well. Sometimes when they do Satan, you'll notice this in some manga that use demons. Sometimes they'll throw in a Satan, but they won't acknowledge the fallen angel aspect of the Satan character. They'll just be like, there's just earth and demons, and that's it. No Which heaven, is though. very funny. <laughs> yeah, no heaven, no God, just demons and humans. I feel like I, I see that pop up a lot. I'm not sure why um, in, in more classic anime, but uh, just the idea like, no, there's just an underworld, right? Yeah. You know, in, in Yu Yu Hakusho, there's not a heaven. It's kind of the same thing. There's just the demon world and the human world. Yeah, yeah. I think from a narrative mechanic uh, perspective, having an all-powerful god really ruins a lot of dramatic tension in your fighting anime. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the big bad shows up, and you're like, why doesn't why doesn't God just smite him? I mean, isn't that kind of the problem, like, literally in the Bible? Hey, why doesn't God just, like, fix everything if he's so good? Yeah, why... Why are all these people suffering? Why doesn't God do anything? Anyway. Yes, no, uh, we, we just stumbled onto the main <laughs> philosophical pursuit of human existence. Good job, it's Remy. Just, it's, a, it's one of the funny things where you, when you recreate even partially uh, aspects of like a holy text like that or big pieces of like culture that you're not even necessarily trying to reproduce, you accidentally import the biggest flaws in that in that piece of media or whatever i think it's very funny that those things also get reproduced in akuma-kun he is the main character is a little kid who's supposed to be a sort of uh demon mediator kind of guy he Mm -hmm. he's supposed to be bringing about paradise on earth and to do that he's kind of working with demons and preventing other demons from doing bad stuff. Uh, but Akuma-kun is, well, how do I say this? He's, um, uh, he doesn't look like he has great social skills. He's, he's heavily autistic coded. (laughs) If I could say that he's not particularly interested in creating heaven on earth. He's really more into just like eating pancakes and reading books. That's all he's really into. In fact, he has to be cajoled, uh, into stopping demons from like actively hurting people, like even in his own neighborhood. So, not a lot of not a lot of hope for the whole heaven on earth project. Well, okay, is it a job that he was thrust into, or a job that he like signed up for? You know, because if if this is like some kind of like destiny thing, and he's just expected to be this kind of mediator between demons and and people because he just he was born with this ability or whatever it's not his problem you know that's not his responsibility i'm on his side why should he give a shit <laughs> no and that's very much the position he takes for sure i mean you really li- you really nailed it uh mm. he is chosen by a magic ocarina called solomon's flute <laughs> dope and it just yeah it just chose him <laughs> to be the next akuma kun you know it's a euphemism for a penis right <laughs> solomon's flute yeah. you blow that thing to get rid of demons yeah <laughs> it's in all the classic rpgs um yeah he he really is not particularly interested in in being ch- a chosen one 
Uh, and he really could not care less. I mean, yeah, no, he is right and 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 cool for for taking that position. That's definitely one way to approach the story. Is that actually with great power comes no responsibilities? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Peter Parker was really, you know, he was just capping himself, right? That he literally had no responsibilities because he could steal if he wanted and not get caught. He let that guy kill Uncle Ben. He let that happen, <laughs> and that was good. That was a good thing. Yeah, that was a good thing. Hey, you never know. Maybe that money was going to like fix his daughter's. Uh, asthma or something they probably did that at some point i don't give a shit about spider-man though love me some spider-man i love me an alternate universe spider-man where the death of uncle ben isn't a big deal (laughs) that's kind of the that's kind of the way they went with those with those tom holland ones right they don't even mention uncle ben is not particularly part of any of the tom holland spider-man movies trying to think if he even gets brought up i think he got brought up one time maybe that i can remember but they firmly planted their flag that, one, uh, Aunt May is going to be a hottie. And they got Marissa Tomei, so <laughs> check mark next to that one. Yeah, no, they did it. Yeah, they, they figured it out. Yep. Two, don't care about the origin story. We're not even going to mention Ben. F- completely skip over all origin story stuff. So mission accomplished. Got through that. Uh, three, he's not a photographer anymore. Never takes a picture, does not talk about taking pictures. See, that's a weird... I wonder why they decided to get rid of that trait amongst all the other, all the others. Yeah, I think because there are two Spider-Mans, right? There are two Peter Parkers. There's the photographer Peter Parker, and then there's the scientist Peter Parker. And a lot of times in old Spider-Man, he's flipping back and forth between those two guys. Um, but then in the movies... Like, Sam Raimi chose photographer Spider-Man, you know? Mm -hmm. And all the other movies chose scientist Spider-Man, including the games, too, because it's just more convenient. Uh, Because how else is he going to make the fucking webs? I was was about to say, that's the kind of the mechanism by which he needs to make all of his gadgetry. Raimi did the correct and cool thing by just making him a mutant freak that (laughs) ejaculates from his wrists. Correct. Absolutely. The correct and objective way to do Spider-Man is to make him come out of his wrists. That is <laughs> that is the way to do Spider-Man. All other Spider-Mans are inherently handicapped by the fucking uh, necessary accoutrement, uh, which are lame. It's true. I'm not afraid to say it. The web shooters are lame. They're dumb. <laughs> uh, he should be a freak. It also sets you up better for the integration into like the X-Men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, was Spider-Man a mutant, though? I feel like they make a pretty clear distinction that X-Men mutants are, like, different than people who get mutated by other means later in life, right? Yes. Uh, no, no, a- a- X-Men are specifically X-Men because they were born with the X-Gene. Yeah. And Spider-Man, Peter Parker is not born with the X-Gene. He is he is forcefully mutated by the, the radiated spider. But that does mean that, it, like, his DNA was manipulated by the spider so that it would change him into a mutant, I guess. I don't know. How does DNA work? Uh, apparently, however you want it to in, in comics world. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I think he wasn't a mutant and then he became a mutant. Yeah, I think, yeah, he was, he was a non mutant and then he got mutated. I agree. That, that's pretty, that's pretty clear. Yeah. Anyway, Akuma Kun is a non mutant who is chosen by Solomon's flute and becomes a mutant. But he doesn't get any cool powers out of it. That's kind of the lame part. Well, he gets ghost eyes. Well, I mean, he can 
he can talk to demons and and see demons and stuff, but it turns out like everybody can. Demons don't really hide themselves that well. Oh, uh, if you see a demon, it's just there. It's not like invisible to you. Oh, I thought that this was like a unique ability that that he had, but everyone can can talk to the demons. Anyone can talk to demons. Oh, okay. In fact, here's here's the something they make very explicit. Uh, you can fuck them. Go on. <laughs> you can have kids with the demon. Uh, one of one of Akuma-kun's uh, f- best friends and helpers is uh, a little half demon kid. Okay, all right. Yeah, daddy was a demon. Mom was uh, just a person. This is good and correct. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I, I hard pressed to argue against that. Uh, I actually really like their dynamic. Listen, I'm not some kind of uh, uh, demon misogynist <laughs> or anti-misogynist. You're not. <laughs> Wait, what does that word mean? <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, I, so, <laughs> the friend's name is Mephistopheles. His, his title is Mephistopheles, and our main character's name is uh, Akuma, but they're both titles. And Mephistopheles' parents, we spend a lot of time with them in the in the 12-episode the, the run, and I, I really mm-hmm. like their dynamic. I think it's actually the, my favorite part of the show. His dad is a demon, but, like, he's pretty... He's pretty chill. He's like a stay-at-home dad. The only sign of demonhood on him is he has a little horn in the middle of his head. But he mostly just stays home, and he, like, he goes to the movies in the afternoon, then comes home and, like, makes dinner for his family. His mom comes home and, like, immediately starts drinking, which I think is really funny. But, like, not in a sad way, in, like, a a, a jolly way. <laughs> She's a fun drunk. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I got home from a long day of work. I'm going to crack a beer kind of mom which I, I just really like that i like that a lot they're fun the uh the masato angle <laughs> sure except i think i think if you look at masato you realize um that that's problem drinking <laughs> masato was not at a good place uh <laughs> all right well that sounds cool uh anything else come out on netflix yeah so i watched that that was fun um it's a little disjointed i i don't really know if it works as a 12 episode thing because Netflix really does want to do the whole separate episodes, but with an overarching season story, you know, the whole formula that they, they have very established yes, now. Yes, yes. For better or ill. Yeah, and I think for the most part it's for ill here because it kind of just crowbars this uh, story on top of these very separated incidents that happen. Um, but otherwise, I think it's fairly charming. The other thing I watched, check this shit out. I mentioned it briefly. Uh, Netflix put out this Onimusha show, and I say show because, as it turns out, this is another fully 3D project. Interesting. I did not know. Did not know going in. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at some stuff here. So I found out two things in a row. First, that Onimusha is fully 3D, and I was like, I'm I'm almost about to check out. And then I found out the second thing, which is that this is creatively helmed by. Our boy Takashi Miike. No way. He's he's the fucking one in the pilot seat here, and that spun me back around on my heel. I was like, okay, well, I'm getting back in. Okay. Hell yeah. All right. When you see a, a live-action adaptation of an anime, you go, well, that was Miike. A very high percentage chance of being Takashi Miike, yes. Yeah. So, of course, like, why, when I saw a, <laughs> a television adaptation of a video game, why did my mind go... Oh, that's probably Mika. So what is Onimusha about? I never played those games. I don't really remember what the games are about, except that uh, there was a, 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 a very early Dark Souls implementation where you killed things and you used their souls to uh, 
become more powerful. Well, you know, I remember I remember playing a little bit of what I think was Onimusha 3, uh, and it came out semi-concurrently to one of the, the Devil May Crys. I think probably Devil May Cry 3. And, you know, they're both Capcom properties. Yeah. And from what I remember, uh, it was like Devil May Cry, like you said, in the sense that, you know, you, you beat enemies and you collect little soul bubbles or gems or whatever, yeah. and then use that to increase your either your weapon stats or your character, you know, health. Uh, mm-hmm. But I remember it being very slow, very clunky, and taking place in very con- like a very confined like a murder hallway setup. Y- yeah, and it, it offered none of the like bombasticness or freedom uh, that I got playing Devil May Cry. Basically, it, it, it wasn't very fun. Uh, so I never really went and looked at any of the other games in the series. Yeah, Onimusha is not a hack and slash, like beat em up brawler-ish game at all. It, it actually, it's very funny that it was kind of a, a, a Demon Souls, Dark Souls precursor because it was a, a very slow third-person Japanese action adventure samurai game that used essentially like the early resident evil camera system so you you were kind of moving through the dioramas of these like oh like well like tank controls not so much tank controls we were past tank controls but the the way that uh the camera framed scenes very deliberately like from resident evil one two three was ported into this. So there, you would be moving through these environments, but uh, you didn't have control over the viewpoint of the camera, right? At least in the first one. Mm-hmm. You would wander through. There was very slow sword play involved. There were mostly like human-ish, like zombie-ish kind of guys, but also big demon dudes you had to use powers to defeat. You killed guys slowly and gained their souls to level up. Other than that, I got it. It really didn't leave too much of an impression on me, but... In this one, and this maybe this is straight from the game, I don't know, but the main character in the TV show, Onimusha, is Miyamoto Musashi. It's just straight up about that guy, and it's that guy. Oh, it's just, it is that dude, not based it is on... That guy. It's, okay, all right, classic. It's not based on him, it is that dude, it is the guy who fought in Sekigahara. Been in a lot of anime. Yeah. He's a... He's a- you know, a staple. His clone shows up in Baki. Hell yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't need a sword. He fights using a sword without the sword. That's pretty cool, right? Wait, does he ima- does he use the massive power of his, of his imagination to create sword slices? Yeah, he doesn't even need a sword to slice with a sword anymore. He's that good. That's dope. <laughs> it's so cool. Uh, in this one, he still needs a sword. Uh, unfortunately how lame yeah now another interesting part sounds like a skill issue (laughs) it kind of is yeah he gets a he gets a demon glaive and that sucks up uh souls of the dead and uses them to power him up a glaive yeah like a like a pole arm like a big uh, no like a gauntlet oh okay a glove you meant to say glove. Well, it's not a glove that's not what a glaive is though It, it is uh one meaning of the word you philistine now he attaches it to his arm and it kind of grows tentacles. You mean greaves. I do not mean greaves at all. Oh, God, you interrupted me, though. I was getting to the best part. Besides it being Miyamoto Musashi, the character model is essentially a 3D scan of Toshiro Mifune. I'm looking at it, uh, and yeah, uh, no, that's Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, 
Yeah, no, that's Mifune. They digitally, like, scan this dude's face and are using him as the model of this TV show, which is so crazy. Like, what? Why would you do that? I mean, I think that they probably can hide behind, you know, saying that, no, he, it's not, uh, it's not Mifune. We didn't scan his face. This is a, a caricature portrayal. Uh, although maybe they maybe they got these designs by feeding like old uh, Kurosawa stills right into I mean, into an AI generator. The thing is, they use Mifune's mannerisms too, not just his face. Does he not have any family? Could he sue? <laughs> I don't know. I think the estate of Mifune maybe got paid off, or or they should they should look into this because Toshiro Mifune is. Extremely charming screen presence. I mean, he's a, a a star in every sense of the word. His his charisma on screen like absolutely made those movies. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it does feel a little weird uh, to just straight up like grave rob him, uh, just pick up his whole ass corpse uh, and drop him into your TV show. Well, we're okay. We're living in an age that is post. Rogue One, like digital yeah. Peter Cushing. You don't even have to do Rogue One. They did Princess Leia in the the third movie, right? Yeah, I was about to say digital Carrie Fisher. Like we're yeah. there. We've they've made a vocaloid of James Earl Jones's Darth Vader voice. They used Bruce Lee's corpse in that fucking Tarantino movie. Well, okay, if Tarantino had the option, he absolutely would have used like a meat puppet of the actual Bruce Lee's corpse. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I so creeped out by that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't see that last Tarantino, but I, I heard about that and uh I, I, I heard that his his estate got pissed off like because there was a less than favorable portrayal of the character that was based off of Bruce Lee. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like Brad Pitt kicks his ass. Yeah. Yeah, I'd totally win a fight against Bruce Lee. He was a win. Yeah, it just seems really weird. I'm sure in the in the context of the movie, I think there must you know, if I'm being charitable, uh, there must be some kind of joke to it, right? Yeah. Well, you wouldn't play that scene straight. Uh, you wouldn't do that. No, no real person would actually make that choice in a in a real Hollywood movie, right? Uh, no, no, you would hope not. But uh, again, we are living in <laughs> in a post Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. Well, we should say uh, SAG strike settled, and uh, one of the things they they won in the settlement was. Uh, studios can can't scan and freely use your body uh in in future works anymore they've they've struck that from contracts so uh good for them oh man hopefully that means we won't see more of this weird corpse puppetry but i i, I don't know how it's going to shake out i think even with this sag uh settlement individual actors can still sell the rights to their own uh likeness mm-hmm. to be used in that way so we, who knows? Maybe we'll still see that. I mean, that's better than just you know having studio the having the rights be implied with the rights of the of the film production, which is what the studios well, yeah. wanted, right? Yeah, which is fucking insane. It's ghoulish and evil. It's 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 insanely evil. Man, it's I wish so evil. I wish that Netflix had done this adaptation instead of whatever this original story they did. They should have adapted um, Onimusha three. With Jean, um, oh, what's that French actor's name? Which one? Uh, I'm going to send you a picture. Jean Claude Van Damme. No, first of all, <laughs> he was French Canadian. Yeah, it's still a territory. Uh, look at Oni. You'll know who I'm talking about from Godzilla. 
and other French film. Jean Reno. Oh, Jean Reno. Yes. Yeah. Oh, is that's what. It's a very small picture. This doesn't help very much. All right, I'm, I'm gonna t- <laughs> I'm gonna take uh, take two on take two on this. <laughs> he looks like a Soul Calibur character there. That's really funny. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think that Netflix should have adapted Onimusha three with Jean Reno and his digital likeness because obviously Capcom already owns the rights to it. How did Jean Reno end up in Onimusha? That is a mystery. I, I must. I must solve. I'm not <laughs> sure I can move on with my day. Jean Reno, uh, who is incredible. You'll remember him from Leon the Professional, of course. Uh, yeah, that's what we remember from Leon the Professional. I, I mean, he was on screen in almost every scene, so I would hope so. I hope you're not implying anything untowards Nate. Absolutely not, never. Please keep your fucking, keep a lid on that shit, okay? Oh, man. Can, guess what his character's name was in, in Onimusha 3. Let me guess, Jacques Lefrancois. You're so close. <laughs> what was it? Jacques Blanc. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Jack White guy. That can't be right. He cannot be called Jack White. He cannot be named Jack White. <laughs> Jacques Blanc. Oh, man, that's sucks so fucking bad his name is jack oh wow that's really funny (laughs) i'm already on board i'm already on board when did they start putting the token white guy in all the japanese like uh samurai games when when did that start it it was was onimusha the first one it can't be right no no i it can't be i don't know what the first one is but i think it goes back to kind of when there was that cultural realization that samurai films and western films are like the same thing you know yeah uh, with um fistful of dollars is the one based mm-hmm. off of yojimbo i think importing the the western sidekick kind of is an extension of that like yeah uh, that's my guess. So, like in Sekiro Two, will there be like, will there be like a, a Gerard Depardieu character? Maybe I, I would. I would be totally down <laughs> for that. Well, you, you're joking, but there was. They already did kind of like a half reference to that in Sekiro One. There's that segment on some bridge. I know. There's where the, randomly there's a, the a knight with a great sword. Yeah, there's the bridge knight. Yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 one guy. Uh, but it was not not Gerard Depardieu. It would be amazing if you beat that guy and he pulled his helmet off and it was Gerard Depardieu. Or like <laughs> Maurice Chevalier is yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. You're like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that would be so funny. That would be so, so you're cool. trying to keep with the with the with the tradition of French uh, and Jean Renault and, and keep it with French dudes. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, it's a very specific look. He looks like a guy in an overcoat. Yeah, I don't want to typecast Jean Renault, but um, assassin or French cop is what I'm getting. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he he got he definitely got typecast for a lot of his life. He has a look. He's great, though. I mean, he truly is. I talk about charisma on screen. You, you see, I you keep calling him charismatic, but I think for most American audiences, their experience with him is that it's like, oh yeah, he's just that French guy that has a deep voice. He kind of mumbles. Like, my biggest cultural reference for Jean Reno in American film is, like, he was in Godzilla. <laughs> he was in the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Well, he was in Leon the Professional. I don't want to talk about that. I think everybody knows that. And, you know, he was in uh, Ronin with De Niro. Anyway, he's really great. 
Watch more French movies, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't really have much. <laughs> yeah, that's how we're going to leave that. <laughs> I don't really have much more to say about Onimusha except for those two stunning uh, particulars. <laughs> the CGI, again, it's just not quite there. There's real moments, especially when the characters have close-ups and they're talking, and the mouth movements just do not feel right. You know what I mean? Uh, they just don't match up. Yeah. And and that's only one of the problems. I think we're just now moving out of the confines of what CG animation has to be. And these are kind of like somewhere in between what I would consider bad and not good. Because like Spider-Verse is good. Spider-Verse is amazing. <laughs> we're going to say it every time, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's... We should say it. We should say it every time. It's that uh, good. Spider-Verse is, is one of the best two films ever made, uh, especially in the animation world. Anyway, uh, it's Onimusha is not that. We're not there yet. Spider-Verse is there. Uh, maybe that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie you talked about. Yeah, I think there is a thing, because this is specifically a Japanese production. And, uh, you know, the other notorious one is Blue Dye Samurai, which is not a Japanese production. Um, and has a more stylized look, and I think actually has a handle on on those smaller details that give it away a little bit better. And it makes me remember when I was watching those uh, behind-the-scenes docs about the Evangelion rebuild movies. Uh, one of the big problems they had, especially moving into the second and third ones, was they were locked into using these legacy pipelines in their production side, mm-hmm. where they... They knew the technology they were using was not sufficient. Like there were much better techniques and and software solutions for the things that they were trying to accomplish. But they were locked into this legacy software because they were so uh, far along in the process and had built their – they had solidified their pipelines so completely and rigidly that any change would entirely blow up their fucking production. I mean that just sounds like a, a very – a Japanese thing, you know. I feel like uh, that's I feel like that's an issue in a lot of animation if it's not uh, openly talked about already. I'm eagerly awaiting the next generation. We talked about stuff that was coming out. Some of those were 3D projects. Uh, I know, you know, specifically like Arcane Two is coming out soon, and they're going to have to have like revamp their entire pipeline to like. Uh, uh, one up their last season, which a lot of people thought was not Spider Verse level, obviously, but like very impressive for a for a three D production that was trying to uh, create its own visual identity. So I guess we'll see if Arcane Two can actually do anything about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a shame that it has to be about uh, League of Legends Harley Quinn, but you know w- whatever. I I I like art for its own sake. I could ignore a bad story if I need to. I've sure done it plenty of times, uh, even since we started this podcast. So that's the only thing we can do. You want to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. We're back.
We're back to Anime Death Spiral once again. When we last left off, Remy, you were telling me about some of the Netflix stuff that you've been watching. Previously on Anime Death Spiral. (laughs) 15 seconds ago. So I also watched a new premiere series on Netflix. I watched the- Wait, wait, hold on. You watched watched a cartoon? I watched a cartoon. I did. You watched a cartoon on Netflix? Yeah. But you said you didn't watch any anime. We can debate that point Uh because I watched the Scott Pilgrim cartoon series if you don't want to call it an anime interesting all right all right i went i went into it hard uh because i did i really liked the scott pilgrim comics uh when i read them years ago i have a lot of feelings about them uh but i looked up to scott you modeled a lot of your behavior on his behavior you kind (laughs) of tried to live life according to his his maxims yes he, he was a mentor a friend he was my my idol i worshiped that character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and then I grew up and and realized that he was a horrible shitty person. <laughs> grew up. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I grew a brain and a dick. <laughs> still watching the cartoons though. Uh, yep, still watching the cartoons. Well, I, I just want to say right off the bat, uh, this was animated by uh, Studio Science Saru, Masaki Yuasa's studio and uh, it is beautiful, amazing, really fun stuff to behold. Uh, I loved every minute of it visually. I don't know if you, how much of it did you watch, but I, I really like the animation. I watched a little bit of episode one, a little bit of episode two, and uh, whatever made it into the trailer. You, you, so you didn't watch the full episodes? Uh, no. I think I made through probably at least three-fourths of the first episode. So you didn't even... Okay, so we're gonna we're getting into it. The series is called Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Uh, the name is very literal in the sense that he's not really in the series. It should have been called Scott Pilgrim Fucks Off. <laughs> I mean, why didn't they... Isn't that basically what they're saying? Do they need the... <laughs> they need to spell it out for you that more clearly i would have appreciated if they had because i definitely would have been more motivated to watch it if it was called scott pilgrim fucks off (laughs) well that that is basically the title because because he fucks off at the end of the first episode which you couldn't even make it through apparently i saw him fighting the dude in the second episode so i don't think that's true Uh, that was a flashback oh flashbacks don't count okay so so i was tricked you're saying that they tricked me into not watching the show. Yeah, you you played yourself. Damn. You tricked yourself into not watching the show. <laughs> no, they did that. They tricked me. No, that's all on you. They didn't call the show Scott Pilgrim Fucks Off. Take they, responsibility they for your poor decisions. <laughs> they should have just explained it right up front. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Well, I think that uh, a lot of people with bad opinions online agree with you. <laughs> Good. At least they agree with uh, me. Because, because reception to this has been... Uh, less stellar than I assumed it would be based off of my own enjoyment. Apparently people felt lied to, but yes, it is an alternate take, uh, not an adaptation of the comics. Scott dies at the end of episode one, and the rest of the series is from Ramona's point of view uh, and how events change, and it actually kind of morphs more into a murder mystery of who killed Scott. Uh, I I really liked it um, because, again, uh, it was more focused on Ramona's character. And without Scott there and the focus that the story pulls on him, because we've already seen, we've already done his story in the comics. Without him, we're kind of allowed to explore all of these characters that were side characters in his story that now get to 
be more complete in this one. Everyone gets to be people instead of just, you know, ancillary characters to Scott's story. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Especially the whole concept of the seven evil ex-boyfriends. It's very fun to see them, like, actually get to be their own characters instead of just obstacles, uh, which is what they represented to Scott in the original comics. You know, it's it was kind of a story about baggage and realizing people tend to view themselves in the best possible light, often to a delusional extent. And so, you know, the story is kind of like a building narrative of Scott realizing that he's a shitty person and he's treated people uh, very badly in his life and he feels bad about it. Yeah, and he wants to shadow box his ex's body count. <laughs> he doesn't want to. That's forced upon him. He's, he's forced to do it, yeah. Sure. But without him there, we we get to explore their characters more. They, they do a lot of really fun stuff. Um, you know, they do a really cute bit where where two of the evil ex-boyfriends just become really good buds with each other and have and have wholesome times. Uh, I like that a lot. Which two? What was it? Uh, Gideon, the final boss and and the skater boyfriend. They they both end up like homeless and crashing on this girl's couch and they just spend all day like watching skate videos and anime. It's very cute. So anyway, I liked it a lot. A lot of people didn't, but uh, I was very into it. But it, it did bring up a question of whether or not, like, can we really call this an anime? Because like, yeah, it was animated by Science Saru. That's a Japanese animation house for sure. But it was, it was written by Brian Lee O'Malley, who's a Canadian dude. Uh, it was voice acted by the cast of the movie, uh, which are all Canadians or Americans for the most part. You know, what? what's the line? When does it become anime? I think Scott is a weird one because I think in my mind it obviously is not. I think it also, you know, a complication, not to get too serious about it, but a complication with the Science Saru stuff is that, like, from conception, Science Saru has been way more international than most uh, Japanese animation studios ever would be, you know? I think, like, if you go back and look, I think the first time Science Sorrow did a thing as an actual company was an Adventure Time episode. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, pretty crazy. It's also one of the really good ones. Uh, do you remember the Food Chain episode? That's one of my favorite episodes because <laughs> yeah, I was really it's... high on LSD the first time I saw it. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I mean, that helps for sure. But on its own, it is a great episode. And that is my man, Masaki Yuasa. Hell yeah. Uh, the goat. Absolutely the goat. Devil Man Crybaby. Night is long. Walk on girl. Great stuff. Love it. Uh, yeah. Kaiba. Ping pong. Uh, Tatami Galaxy. Get your hands off Isaacin. Keep your hands off Isaacin. No, get them off. Inuo. Just, I mean, the master. The absolute master. But they've done a lot of Western stuff. Like... Abel Gangara is the dude who took Scott Pilgrim. Obviously, not not the most Japanese-sounding name, but he's also one of the guys who took the lead doing, like, OKKO, OK mm -hmm. which is the Steven Universe for cool people. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> throwing hands now, are we? <laughs> yeah, throwing it out. Abel Gangara also worked uh, with a couple other people. He did. He worked on the, the Star Wars Visions stuff they did. 
so he's he kind of established himself as I guess the kind of the Western go-to guy. I mean, hey, if you have a niche, corner it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's nailing it, and he's obviously in, in an incredible position because his his coworkers are Masaki Iwasa, Shingo Natsume, Shinichiro uh, Watanabe. Uh, <laughs> so uh, absolute like, titans of the industry. Yeah, he's he's in a pretty good position. But yeah, I, it's just interesting to note that like right off the bat, we're talking about a company that like is already kind of international. And that will probably be more common moving into the future, especially with Japan realizing how much of an export anime is these days. You know what I mean? I don't understand how you can talk about it like it's something that they've yet to realize they know they just don't care <laughs> i think i think it will be uh, i think the uh, an internationalization of japanese animation series i think is an inevitability if i'm being full serious mode listen the pokemon dollars are all they need uh, from from in the international <laughs> market that's funding the whole thing baby yeah but that goes all into nintendo's massive fucking war chest that they <laughs> use to like sue people into oblivion <laughs> they use it to erase people from history uh, like, you don't think that nintendo controls the japanese government you know it's always been very interesting to me that they started off as a playing car company uh, I don't, I just, there's something nefarious about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's just a dark shadow there. Uh, uh, I don't yeah. think that's as innocent as people would say. Yeah. Yeah. Playing card company. Yeah. Playing uh, We're cards. not a casino. We're not, we're not an illegal casino. We just manufacture the cards. And if people play yeah. with them here, like, uh, that's not our problem. Every time you see one of those things as like a Japanese company transitioned away from their Yakuza roots, you're like, uh, -huh, oh, uh, huh. Yeah. Or, uh, organized crime. Uh, just let them go. Huh? Yeah, uh, oh. they they went from from petty millionaire thieves to b legal billionaire <laughs> zaibatsu owners. Yeah, it turns out it's way easier to rob people when you do it uh, like in public in broad daylight yeah. with the law on your side. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's what makes it anime uh, <laughs> is all the crime involved. No, I think I think Scott Pilgrim. The thing about Scott Pilgrim is that it has a huge stake. I guess coming from the other side of this, like the art side of it, is that mm -hmm. Scott Pilgrim tries really hard to look like Scott Pilgrim, right? Well, it... I mean, I, I only watched a little bit of it. It has a very defined, you know, look to it. You know, Brian Lee O'Malley has his own art style. Yeah, and the, the show, from what I saw, tried very, very hard to capture that art style as it is not tr not try to animate but it. that's not so different from a lot of anime productions where they try and capture a manga's uh, specific art style yeah i say most anime we watch most of the stuff we talk about uh, especially the stuff that i've read and has been translated there is the anime style though and a lot of anime gets flattened into that style there are not that many anime i would say that try super hard to maintain like a visual identity like talking about spider-verse it's hard to bring trigger into any conversations like these because they do go so fucking hard and they are so in their own league but well that's uh, i'm actually it's it's funny you bring trigger in because i feel like trigger has their own recognizable style uh you just like a studio style it's the gurren logan style that you see in edge runners and Darling in the Franks, and I'm sure there are other shows too. They they have that trigger <laughs> look, and I'm interested to see how that's going to play into the upcoming Dungeon Meshi adaptation, because that is a manga that is very clearly it doesn't look 
like Trigger's usual animation style. Uh, f- yeah, I mean, Dungeon Mesh definitely has its own identity, but it's still it's still trading in a very clean anime like look. Uh, it's you know when when Trigger is going for something different, uh, they're doing panty and stocking, right? You know, it's their it's their take on Powerpuff Girls and, yeah. and Western animation, but it is still a very much the closest they have to a house style. I would say the furthest from the clean anime look that uh, they do, uh, and I think Dungeon Meshi is going to be the closest to the clean anime look. Though uh, I know you haven't seen Kizniver or the um, no the uh, SSS Gridman stuff, but that stuff does also have it has its trigger components to it but it also is very much more the uh the anime uh ap style guide type anime look you know Mm -hmm. and i guess i guess that's what i'm arguing is that there is an ap style guide anime look right i think that's hard to dispute and it's one of those things that marks western shows it puts the scarlet letter on any western show because for whatever reason when you watch western anime it like always can't quite managed to nail the AP style guide. I've always wondered uh, why that is, you know? It it feels like it should be, if any number of Japanese animation studios can stick to it internally, why can't can't an international studio uh, get it right? I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, this is my biggest question about Castlevania. When that first season came out remember there was Mm -hmm. a lot of hype because people thought that oh they finally cracked it western animation is doing anime they finally cracked it and then you watch it and you're like no they no they didn't they like they very clearly did not i mean i think that if you asked anybody that worked on that show you they would say they're like no we weren't trying to make it look like anime yeah, we they'd were, be blushing and they would be trying not to, like, meet your eye. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does, you know. I, I'm not saying it doesn't, but I, I'm saying, that, like, no, the they probably thought they were trying to develop a more mature, non-comedic Western animation style because, talked about it, in, in the West, cartoons are fundamentally seen as, as for kids, you know, and, and any adult d- variation on that is usually kind of like plays in like hey look it's a it's a cartoon like what kids watch but it swears there are yes that is i think that is the more uh capital w western animation style that's how we end up with stuff like you know rick and morty and and american dad and and uh fucking bojack horseman and and shit like that yeah Uh, even tuca and birdie which i Actually, I think the animation is really good in Tuca and Birdie, but like it is still that. It mm-hmm. is canonical Western animation that does not want to be anime in any way. I think going all the way back, I mean, we kind of racked our brains, but like Aeon Flux is, I think, the progenitor of this in that it is a marked Western animation uh, that is truly pulling a lot of its aesthetic cues from anime. I mean, Peter Chung did Aeon Flux, he did Dark Fury, he did one of the Animatrix segments, and he very explicitly says, yeah, I was doing I was doing anime stuff. That, those were my moves. I was doing anime well, stuff. Well, even still, I mean, yes, I agree to all that, but Aeon Flux specifically, like, it was still doing some very, like, unique, abstract stuff with the animation and the character design that was not, I wouldn't say inherent to 
Western animation or no, no anime, but just like cool stuff that Peter Chung was doing with the cartoon. Yeah, no, he's he's pulling a lot of anime aesthetic, but also Peter Chung is he is he is not doing Western animation. I mean, Peter Chung is a, a singular animator. Yeah, His shit just moves well, in the thing is ways about, that no one else can do. The thing about the Aeon Flux character designs is that they're like weird and angular and everyone has these long spider-like limbs. You know, yeah. they look like they bend at weird angles and stuff. Yeah, everything looks sharp. I, I love it. I think it's cool as hell. It is cool as hell. Did you ever, do you watch the live action movie? No, hell no. Oh man, it's worth watching. It's fucking bizarre. It's so weird. All I remember uh, is that they, that was the one with Charlize Theron, right? Yes. And then yeah, like dude. right around the same time, wasn't there one with, I want to say Kate Beckinsale? Was that it? Ultraviolet. Yeah. But it it felt like that was, you know, one of those uh, weird like twin movie release things, right? I don't know what Ultraviolet was was about. Well, I could tell you it's funny that you bring that up because Ultraviolet is a live action. Oh god, I feel so fucking embarrassed. It was not what? Kate Beckinsale. It, it was it was our girl. It was Mila. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah, she's perfect for that. Yeah, totally. It's it's funny that you bring Ultraviolet into this because Ultraviolet, despite not being an animated movie at all, is like the closest to a Western anime I can, I can probably think of. It is so fucking anime. That's high praise. Walter Violet kicks ass, uh, just straight up, like no caveats. I think if you mash Ultra Violet and the, the live action Aeon Flux together, you have something that is pretty much perfect. If you put them in the chamber from the fly, you would have a perfect live action anime movie. Uh, and you wouldn't even have to get Takashi Miike to make it. Uh, <laughs> how, how do we do? We start a Kickstarter for this. I like this idea. I don't know how you would do it, and I think it would take a long time to actually like sit down and analyze what exactly it is. I think makes Ultraviolet a perfect live action anime that's not actually based on an anime. But if you just watch it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, the more the more uh, conventional stuff would be like, oh, we've talked about Teen Titans, you know. So I, I'm trying, I've been looking at this list we put together and I'm kind of categorizing stuff into these loose bubbles of original stories that were explicitly meant to uh, mimic the look and feel of anime. And for that, I put stuff like Teen Titans or uh, The Last Airbender. Yeah. Stuff I said that Batman it, Beyond is very much like that. Batman Beyond is very much uh, a, a, an attempt at anime. That that's an interesting one because Batman Beyond is like a spin-off of the Batman animated series which has a lot of like anime DNA in it because it was animated by a Japanese studio. I can't remember which one off the top of my head, but like those that studio went on, you know, they they did Batman and Batman Beyond and a bunch of other WB property. They did Big O, right? Yeah, they went on to, like, do Big O that is explicitly, the creator says it was explicitly inspired by his time working, directing episodes of Batman. Yeah, and Big O feels like a Western anime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It doesn't feel like an anime anime. It feels like a Western anime. Uh, I love Big O. That, that show kicks ass. <laughs> it's so cool. I think what's weird about the Batman Beyond thing, and it's like the Avatar and T-Titans a little bit, is that the Batman original series was like, 
anime guys trying to recreate sort of a little bit of the Max Fleischer flavor. Yeah. Yes. Um, of those early shorts with a lot of the similar aesthetic touchstones, right? Like the the Roaring Twenties, like Art mm-hmm. Deco kind of stuff uh, bled all over that Batman shit. And that's that is definitely pulling from Max Fleischer era cartoons. And then the the dramatization, the chiaroscuro, excuse me for getting <laughs> extremely pretentious for a second, but like all that stuff absolutely pulled straight from that and it's anime guys going how do we do this like western look yeah well i mean uh, batman the animated series has an akira bike slide in it i think that says it all oh of course well every cartoon does now i mean like literally you can watch compilations of every single animated thing spongebob has one you know (laughs) i feel like that devalues it a little it kind of does it feels like every single person does it because you like you have to right Mm. but that's uh, how many how many cartoons have done like the uh end of ava a giant ray head in the distance reference at this point. Uh, there was uh, one in that in that Scott Pilgrim show. There was? <laughs> yeah. Of course there was. Why would I even be surprised? They do a bunch of Ava references. They're actually, they're laying real heavy on, on referencing the rebuild stuff. Yeah. They, they were not subtle about it. That's such a, it's such a weird thing to me because like most of the rebuild stuff is bad. Like I <laughs> ended up being very positive about all of it because of the way it wrapped up. But like most of rebuild is like very bad. No, you don't understand. Uh, the fact that it's good <laughs> at the end means that that was uh, retroactively on purpose. It was all intentional. And actually, yeah. if you don't like anything about Ava, it's because you don't get it. <laughs> that but unironically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, buddy. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so there, there's like that that category. And then the other one that that I've been kind of filling out is explicitly Western properties going for anime aesthetic as a marketing technique. And that's where I see like the supernatural anime, the, the X-Man anime, the Wolverine, Yes, the Marvel properties. Yeah. Yeah. The Marvel properties. And then we have like kind of a third category that's starting to emerge more recently, which is, you know, Western stuff. that's not explicitly trying to be anime, but shares a lot of the same properties with it. And that's where I would put stuff like, uh, scavenger's reign or i guess castlevania i'm teetering on whether or not that that falls into that that licensed uh you know marketing <laughs> push uh, category i feel like castlevania has a lot more in common with like uh wolverine or the supernatural anime than it does something like scavenger's reign well yeah okay i i guess i agree with that or yeah. you know like the upcoming devil may cry anime from the same guys it's not out sure. yet but i guess it's being worked on yeah, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. But, uh, yeah, stuff like Scavenger's Reign or, I don't know, I don't know what else. Scavenger's Reign, uh, we should talk a little bit about that um, because uh, that's not Japanese and it's not French, to my surprise either, which I think it should have been. Yes, I know. It's clearly drawing on uh, lots of French inspirations, but I definitely boot that chick up and it was like, Wait, this isn't French? How is it possible that it's not French? They don't even have a French dub yet. That is truly egregious. Like, how could they fuck that part up? Uh, I I would have immediately watched it in French if that was an option because it is so French. It's painfully French. Scavenger's Reign, that came out a little bit ago on Max, and that is an eight-part multi-threaded story about a bunch of survivors from uh, a space station crash in orbit above a hostile planet 
right? Does that sum it up pretty well? Uh, yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah. So we have kind of like these multiple different storylines of um, who are the the older guy and and the younger lady. Mike is his name. Mike. <laughs> his name's Sam. Sam. <laughs> and they're they're trying to, you know, in the first episode, they're able to rig some kind of radio or signal emitter to force the remains of the space station. Uh, that they were on to land on the planet. And then their story is kind of making their way across the the environment to, to get to it. Uh, we have the guy that was trapped inside of the lander that gets like mind controlled by these weird little koala dudes, which that one, that freaked me out the most. <laughs> uh, I think I like that story uh, the most out of all the ones. Brain control frogs? Yeah, like these weird koala frog things with psychic uh, mind control powers. Yeah, they're they're fucking cool as hell. Yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, there's the the lady and her robot that were farming, uh, and then they also see the ship crash, and they're trying to get to yeah, it. Yeah, it's those three. It's three intersecting stories yeah, okay, that um, kind of mirror each other um, throughout the run of the show. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got like three episodes into it you watched the whole thing right yes i watched the whole thing very quickly because it's fucking great the the thing i i think makes it relevant to this conversation is the is the the french obsession with anime yes and i know again like we said this isn't actually french but it is so french it's, it like artificially recreates that dynamic. well it leans very heavily into the visual uh works of, of mobius right uh, mobius mobius Moebius, Moebius, uh, <laughs> as you'd pronounce it. Um, someone like, um, do you know, do you know Simon Roy? Uh, no, I haven't heard of that. That guy. He's not French, or maybe he's French Canadian. I don't know. I think he's Canadian. Um, his art is has very similar vibes to it, very much like alien planetscapes kind of thing. He was. Uh, do you know Prophet? Do you remember Prophet? That was. Yeah. I think that was probably is the famous, the most famous one. Yeah. That he was working on. Yeah. Uh, he has he has a similar style that's very representative in this. You could you can see it a lot. His stuff is fantastic. It's very very cool. Uh, also, kind of if you just saw it in a vacuum, you probably also would assume it's French. He's got a French vibe to it. Yeah, it's I think it's the pastel colors that does a lot for it, <laughs> uh, uh, giving it that French flair. Yeah, honestly, this this sounds terrible, but honestly, it's it's the respect for the audience's curiosity and intelligence uh, <laughs> that makes. That gives it a real French vibe to it. I mean, the, the, to make the to make it as literal. I mean, a lot of it. This is all touching back to Fantastic Planet, and, and this show makes so many references directly back to Fantastic Planet that I know it must be intentional. I know it has to be intentional. I, I think so. Yeah, that's also a big French connection. The French connection. <laughs> hey, nice. Uh, and France has always been like in love with anime. That is a, a legendary relationship. Uh, but French people are also very proud. And so they, they do not want to just mimic anime. They want to maintain their own voice. Uh, so they kind of like colonize anime in the French fashion and uh, <laughs> build something unique out of uh, the, the, the parts that it pulls out. Um, and that's how you end up with like a lot of stuff. Uh, do you ever watch the triplets of Belleville? Uh, I remember it. Yeah. I, uh, I think I saw it when I was very, I, I mean, when it came out. So probably when I was like 11, uh, my grandma liked it. I remember actually. Really? Yeah. 
I I fell in love with it. It came out probably when I was, God, I want to say like 12, 13. Uh, hold on, hold on. Uh, yeah, released in 2003. So I, I must have been 13. And I remember like it really blowing my brain because it had both that kind of beautiful, quirky charm of those original cartoons, like from the 30s. Mm-hmm. That stuff that is just like you cannot you cannot recreate now. <laughs> Not in the uh, cancel culture way, but in the like animation techniques and sensibilities evolve over time kind of way. Sure. But it also had like such a modern sensibility. It was really like the first thing since I started watching anime that struck me as like, anime in the in the spirit of anime ass anime kind of anime okay uh (laughs) it's hard to describe exactly what i mean i know i I think i kind of get i don't know if this is the same uh but this goes back to the to the french connection uh with anime (laughs) uh remember uh we saw the red turtle which was a uh collaboration between studio ghibli and a french animation studio that i should name or i should Mm -hmm. know who was that? Who was that? Who was that? Who was that? Wild Bunch. Studio Wild Bunch. Yes. Uh, which they've done They've done a bunch of uh, stuff. Um, look them up sometime. Real cool. Uh, but yeah, Red Turtle, also also a good movie. <laughs> uh, but I think it, well, ca- it, 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 it did a good job of capturing, I, I would say, what what is visually pleasing about the mechanics of of Japanese animation while being a distinctly, you know, French work. Yeah, and it it has, uh, not to put such a fine a point on it, but it has that je ne sais quoi (laughs) that makes it, that makes it anime. Because we just got season two of Invincible, right? Yes, you can, ugh. But it has, this is another one that I think falls into that kind of in the Castlevania category where we have a modern animation studio trying to make something that is at the very least anime-ish or on that can stand at the same you know sit at the same table as an anime but when you look at it it is missing something you know okay the okay what's missing when i look at clips of invincible is this is totally separate from the uh, aesthetic design of the of the character's I yeah. think it is just badly animated. It's not a well-animated show. I think that's it's part of it. It's very stiff. I, th- I think that's part of it, though. I, I really think that is one of those things where it's like there is just a, there is an imbalance. Somewhere along the line, there's like something, a, a piece missing in their quality production. I was also thinking of this show. I don't know if you ever watched any of this. Do you remember Pantheon? Yeah, oh, yes. I think that uh, kind of goes. Um, I should have put that on here. I do remember Pantheon, but that was kind of like yeah. Blood of Zeus, which I put on here as an Amazon cartoon, and that's like Pantheon, but like with more sex and blood. Sure. Yes, I think they look similar in that they also are attempting to do like what I would say this thing where like they want to sit at the table with anime yeah but they're missing that thing and then you know what I will say unlike Invincible I from what I saw from Pantheon I don't think it's badly animated I think actually a lot of the animation it looks I'm not in love with it but I think it looks fine but it is missing that whatever that fucking thing is 
Well, I mean, I think the answer is uh, <laughs> the difference between Japanese animation studios and, and Western animation studios is uh, <laughs> the number of rights the workers have. <laughs> That's, you know, uh, there is definitely a discrepancy there. I'm willing to admit you, but I'm thinking <laughs> Listen, less, like- less worker rights means more frames per second. That's just what it boils down to. <laughs> I'm thinking of even like bad anime though. Anime that is not well animated at all. Doesn't even maybe look very good, but is so easily identified as anime. You know, remember what I was complaining about how how did Rayliana end up in the Duke's castle or whatever that show was called? And I complained a lot about how the animation is like not very good and there's not a lot of it. It's this it's bad soup and there's such small portions. But <laughs> comparing that, uh, which isn't even based on an anime or based on a manga, it's based on a webtoon, right? Mm-hmm. Comparing that to Invincible or or Pantheon or Blood of Zeus or Castlevania, there's such a stark difference. There's a huge fucking uh, canyon. So I think part of it, I think part of what you're talking about is due, and this is a theory, uh, but I think it's probably due to the prevalence of using uh, Flash uh, animation and its legacy programs as like the standard in Western animation versus the kind of more, they have a different family of digital programming that was made around the anime industry that they use. Uh, in Japan Uh, they don't they don't use flash uh, as prevalently and you can tell when they do because everything looks flatter the colors look more washed out Uh, I mean I think that's just what what flash (laughs) animation looks like yeah yo you mean like the new Rurouni Kenshin yeah exactly (laughs) I I would be interesting to put that side by side not that I want to watch new Rurouni Kenshin, but... Uh, yeah, we should not support that guy. Yeah, don't support that guy. If we started making a, a don't support this guy list of anime dudes, though, it would be like, who the fuck can you watch? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get back to you uh, on that one. Yeah, we'll have to... You have to really, like, rack your brain for that one. I don't know. There is, is some indescribable thing that I still feel like is, is part of it. The tools definitely describe a big part of it, but I don't know. It's just... There's like a there's a stink on Western anime that you could just immediately pick up on. I think uh, it, what's interesting about this Scott Pilgrim anime is like it doesn't have that stink. I think that's probably what what gave you pause at the beginning. Is I really think it it is whatever it, that stink is. I think it it shook it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's why I keep calling it the Scott Pilgrim anime. I'm on the yeah. side that this is this is firmly an anime, uh, mostly because uh, I, I full disclosure I did watch it uh, entirely in the Japanese dub. Uh, I did not watch the English, which is psycho, which is psychotic. It, no, no, it's not because I think that that is <laughs> by far the worst aspect of the show. The English movie cast, uh, they all suck at voice acting, except for Mae Whitwin, who is an actual voice actress. Uh, How dare you say that about Schwartzman? I don't, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I was, honestly, I was going back and forth and rewatching several scenes to see, like, to compare the English voices uh, to the Japanese one, and the Japanese uh, dub came out on top every time. <laughs> I'm just saying that is the that is the optimal way to watch After it. After all of what we just said, you didn't watch it in French, which is just so disappointing to me it's just really crushing to me (laughs) did you watch it in french (laughs) no Uh, but if i watch it i will watch it in french absolutely 
as as I think would be the correct way to do it. You tried to get me on here, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley not being a Quebecois, but uh, French is the official language of Canada. By just per capita, there's more French-speaking people than uh, than any other being in the in yeah. the province. And also, Canadians uh, who don't speak French pretend they do to seem more uh, worldly. It's a common tactic. I can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's the final French connection we can we can make here. Uh, I think we solved it. Yeah, <laughs> is that the French uh, do it best. Yeah. yeah. Uh, French people are the best at anime. They straddle both worlds. <laughs> they made the word anime. Uh, I don't know what else I could possibly say. I think we're done. <laughs> Shit. Okay, you don't have any final words? Uh, no, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, the only thing I can add in there is, uh, did you ever watch any of, of Wakfu, which is another French cartoon, which I would say is even more explicitly anime in style than, uh, than anything else we talked about. Uh, I have not. And I've got to be, I got to be completely honest until a few years ago, I thought that was like just porn. It mostly is. <laughs> I, I, from the only the exposure I ever got from Wakfu was like people drawing insanely horny art around it and like horny cosplayers. That was the only exposure I ever got to it. Okay. And uh, so I just assumed it was porn. Well, I mean, you say like people, but uh, the, the creator of the series, like he's explicitly out there doing that on his own. He needs no prompting. Uh, or help from the community. <laughs> he is out there uploading porn of all of these characters on the daily for the last 15 years. Yeah, how does his studio not, like, sue him to stop? Well, you see, they're French, and they're all horny, too. <laughs> he wrote it into his contract. He's like, yeah. I'm allowed to draw porn of these children's characters. Listen, French. Uh, the French just have stronger creators' rights than us. They can do that. <laughs> well, unironically, that's true. That is true, <laughs> and good for them. <laughs> Good for them. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, Jesus Christ. Uh, I think we went a little over time today. <laughs> that was a lot of anime, uh, even including all that non-anime we talked about. The stink of an uh, non-anime lies heavy. Oh, actually, uh, I I'm going to throw in one last thing, uh, as long as we're on it. Avatar, The Last Airbender, not anime. Definitively. Avatar, not anime. Steven Universe, not anime. Nope. Uh, Avatar, not anime. Steven Universe, not anime. Adventure Time, not anime. Powerpuff Girls, not anime. Powerpuff Girls is not anime. Uh, Clone Wars, not anime. Edge Runners, that's an anime. Edge Runners is anime. And it's better than all of that other stuff. It's better than everything we talked about, including Scavenger's Reign. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> all right, that's it. Oh, fuck. Okay, let's get out of here. Jesus Christ. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>